Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 78 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 13, Chapter 6, The White Horse. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. As we begin this morning uh, in this teaching, I have several things to share with you. I'd like for you to test. I'd, I'd rather say it that way uh, because a lot of it is it's the way it appears to me. And uh, to me, a lot of it appears to be revelation. If I feel like I get a revelation, I'll research it out to see if others have gotten the same revelation. If, if I'm the only one that's gotten it, I tend to back up a little bit because I don't think God's going to give me something privately. But it's a revelation to me because I just saw it. So, but you test what I've got to say today. Perhaps it'll be a revelation to you. Uh, just trust me, I've tested out what I'm saying, and others have seem to come to some of the same conclusions. So as we go uh, forward here today, I like to start off as in the days of Noah. I thought, well, I wonder what, you know, what uh, Billy Graham thinks. Uh, here's some quotes. The end will come with the return of Christ. That is why a Christian can be optimistic, an optimist. That is why a Christian can uh, smile in the midst of all that is happening. We know what the end will be, the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we talk about, uh, as in the days of Noah and the end of the age, uh, the first thing that hits our soul and our spirit is disappointment, uh, sadness. Uh, I want the world to go on forever and everybody to get richer and healthier and all this stuff. And, and uh, so it tends to come against our flesh, I guess you could say, and even our minds, uh, perhaps even our minds. But for, to a Christian... The end of the age is good news. It's not bad news. And, and I want to get into that just a little bit uh, more today, if I might. And uh, so here's something else as a quote. When the evil day comes, we do not have to be dependent upon the circumstances around us, but rather on the resources of God. Do you get that? It, and it's, it's amazing how in life that we are constantly... And I, and I get it. It's not that I don't get it. But it's I put a lot of my faith and my trust, and let me say, I'll rest when I have enough physical resources in which to take care of me and my family. And, you know, i got a decent car, i got gas, i got money to buy food, yada, yada, yada. And so we have this uh, kind of these uh, goals we're fighting for in life on a daily basis just to survive and to live. And I get all that. But then there's a part of us that so there's a thought pattern that needs to supersede that. And that is that our resources is God. He's our, he's our resource. And, uh, but when, when we're dependent upon what we can provide or our circumstances around us, or we're trying to create enough perfect circumstances so that my life will be okay, as a Christian, we need to understand that that one will never be fixed. You can't get there. There's always a crisis. There's always something going on. There's always a bill. There's always sickness. There's always something that messes up this perfect plan of ours that we're striving for so that I can sit down one night and say, okay, everything's okay because all the circumstances in my life are now in order so I can exhale. But we find that the reality of life, if you get those moments, they're short-lived. 
And, uh, but we want to understand, and this is what the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ is talking about, is that uh, all of our resources are to be God. Uh, the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. Man will live as it was originally intended he should live. So, so that's pretty good news, isn't it? Great idea. And that's not that this fallen world, we're going to get all the circumstances just right. So we, and, and we need to understand something else here. That's Billy Graham that I'll throw in here on the onset. And that is we are living in what's called the day of the grace of God. Everybody get that? The grace of God. Uh, Ed's written a series of books on the grace of God. And as a church, we believe in the grace and the mercies of God. And the grace of God means that God is waiting on me to repent. And that grace uh, gives me time and space, if you will, to repent. There's things that I need to repent of yet that I either am rebelling against or yet I hadn't quite got it. I don't, I don't know which it is. But nonetheless, we find ourselves in a constant state of repentance. Does everybody witness with that statement? But that we need to understand something. I, I, I was in a conversation this week, and, and what was said to me you know, about the movie about child, child trafficking and the you know, Sound of Freedom and uh, that topic. And then, of course, it mushroomed into the Holocaust. How did that happen? And, you know, and then every other travesty. Down through the ages was our conversation, and I gave him this person this answer, which they did did not like at first, and you probably won't either. The only thing I ask you to do is just think about it, okay? Don't hang me yet. Uh, just think about it. But we're living in the day of grace, and that means that God has poured out His grace upon this planet. Well, what causes a Hitler to be here is the day of grace. It's the grace of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but we have to understand this grace of God that we get to experience and to enjoy has a great price on those that have not reached that understanding yet of why this grace is here. So it even appears like sin will abound. You wonder, well, why does God not judge Hitler and all of those? What's, what's the deal? It's, it's because, I hope you can hear what I'm saying. It's because of the grace of God that that's allowed to go on and not be judged. But let me tell you something. There's a day that the Bible says that God's storing up His wrath against such. It's called stored up wrath, and He stores it up in this day of grace that we're in. It's not excluding the consequence of sin. Consequence of sin uh, lives through all, all of eternity, and that is if you do this, it can equal this. It's a law of sowing and reaping, which was created for our good, uh, believe it or not. You sow something good, you reap something good, but it just so happens the law is still in effect. So therefore, if you, if you plant something evil, you'll reap something evil. So the laws of consequences are still here, but that's different than the wrath of God. Now, sin has built-in consequences. Then you have what's called the wrath of God. Well, as a church, we got to understand we're living in the grace of God. That means we're waiting for everybody to get it. Some people on the earth ain't got it yet. Have you noticed? But what allows it to go on is by as God's extended His grace to the earth until we, His people, His body, 
He's given us opportunity to give the gospel or the grace of God to the earth. And it's that opportunity that we're, and it's like we squander the opportunity. We don't realize that people are dying and going to hell because of the grace of God. Grace of God's buying people time to respond to truth, and He's called us to give it. Now, all I ask you to do is think about it. That's all. Just think about it. Because it totally ups the ante. We like to, what we do, we like to enjoy the grace of God, and then we stop in the message there. Well, I've been covered by God's grace. He gives me opportunity to repent. Well, glory, hallelujah. That's good. But in the meantime, people's being abused because everybody ain't got it. Are you with me? Yeah. And I hear people all the time say, well, how does God let this happen? It's because of His grace. I hope you can see and respect and appreciate the, the grace of God on a greater level. And even, I'm sure some will disagree with me. I don't ask you. I just ask you to test it. That's all. That you've got. That's what happens in this day that we're in. But, but the responsibility is on our shoulders. It's on the shoulders of the church to be the extension of Christ to the earth, as God has extended His grace and His mercy. There again, it doesn't do away with, with the uh, consequence of our behaviors. That's just built in. Jump off cliff, guess what? You're going to hit the bottom. It's just a consequence of the laws of God. But the laws of God and the wrath of God, the stored up wrath of God, you'll understand the book of Revelation, but you got to see what I'm saying to understand the book of Revelation when you get into the tribulation period, this stored up wrath that God has. Now, it's going to be a son of a gun. That's the reason I say and I uphold and I go with and test what I say. I, I'm an embracer of the rapture of the church because that wrath, according to Paul, has not been stored up against us. We are the people of His grace and His mercy. And ain't the thing about that fair. It just so happens that's where you find yourself born. And uh, it's bigger than I can understand. I can't, under I can't get my brain around it. So keep that in mind as we, as we talk about the book of Revelation, we'll be getting into the wrath of God. But let's look at this right quickly. We, I got into and trying to get into the four horsemen. The first one's a white horse. Four horsemen are evil spirits of the unnatural world and become more defined in the tribulation period, just as the seven churches. Now you'll see these four horsemen, the uh, characteristics of them, if you will, are already here on the earth. A lot of people say, well, that looks like the horse, four horsemen are riding, and I would have to agree. It does. But when, when this tribulation period begins with, this first, with the Antichrist, all of these things that you find in the earth all automatically are just supersized, supercharged. And it's like these horses have got a, got a four-barrel and a blower <laughs> hooked to them or something because it, this thing really takes off. The white horse is uh, one that conquers... The second uh, horse, red one, is peace, is taken from the earth, or wars is, is what that one stands for. There shall be famines. It just so happens we like to think of these things as natural disaster and famines. Uh, it's not necessarily, probably a lot of them be man-made famines, uh, man-made disasters. Uh, it, it just so happens that the earth, the earth Cadillac's pretty good uh, without our input. Today we got people trying to get to save the planet and 
savor this and savor that. And I understand the concept, but I got news for it. You're not the savior of any of that. It's, your, it's not your job description. You're not the savior of any of that. God's put it all in motion. And it's amazing how uh, God done a pretty good job. So, yeah, listen, if we could destroy the earth, we already would have. Somebody. I mean, don't think, don't get me started. I'll not get myself started. Here we go. Now, the fourth one is there shall be death. This is, I forget the other word. It's kind of a green horse, if you want. It's a light-colored horse. Uh, I know it. I can't ever remember it. What is it? Plex. See there, I told you I couldn't say it. All right. Now, so let's, let's look at this uh, first uh, horseman here. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So we get into the six seals here, six, chapter 6, the four horsemen, and starting now the opening of the seals, and I'm going to go back to a graft here in just a moment to bring your uh, spirit and brain back up to speed. Now, this white horseman is what I call a false uh, identity. False identity. Now, if you'll notice on the scene of the world today, identities are being changed and altered. And, and you can say, well, that's just the phase we're going through. What It's, it's a phase of, all right. I mean, gender, gender identity is, you know, I'll go to an extreme gender identity. But listen, you're setting the stage for false identity. So false identity is a being acceptable behavior. So you've got to understand what's going on around us is bigger than just what's going on around us. It's trying to set us up to receive and accept a false identity just because that's who I say I am. And that's the spirit of the Antichrist. I am that that I am. This is who I am says I am. That's what's happening to us today. You do not have that much. You're not that smart. That's all. Okay. So now we see a false identity that comes on this white horse. Now there's another white horse. The reason this is false identity, Jesus will come, we'll see, on a white horse. But here we see the Antichrist comes on a white horse. Now I, there again, I'm of the persuasion when chapter 6 starts that the, the rapture of the church is probably taken out of here. When this horse starts riding, even though the spirit of that horse is already here, uh, you've got to understand that for the last 2,000 years. And the reason of that is because it could have happened at any time. It's all here. The seed's here. The seed's here for the four horsemen. It's here and it sprouted a little bit and grows a little bit. But when this thing happens, it's going to be like a, like a wildfire. And I can show you that scripture here. Now, John 5, 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. That's an exegesis. Now I'm going to a nice Jesus. This is to us personally. Jesus, do you, do you not think for a moment that Jesus has not been before you in spirit or in action, and you, not, and you couldn't tell it? Do you not think that Jesus has done things before your very eyes and you've missed it? One of the first ways that I notice that I'm missing Jesus is somebody irritates me. 
Can I be honest? <laughs> I got an amen. I miss him a lot. Okay. Because what usually happens is when the Holy Spirit, I'm usually in the flesh, Holy Spirit start moving, or you can come in here and, you know, if, if a flag waving or, or somebody gets up and gives a testimony and, and they're about half crying and half talking, they don't have to be crying. And you can't even hardly understand what they're saying. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's probably Jesus. It's probably the Holy Spirit is probably irritating you because you're missing the visitation of what's happening. In other words, a visitation doesn't come before you just because you like it and you think it's you. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm the wise one. This is God. I haven't got to the wise part yet, but I sure have got to the irritation point, and I've learned over the years it's probably God. And I'm sure that I've let things go on in here as, as Steve's given me the rain, and I've let it go on that irritates the bejeebies out of people. I know that. I understand that. But you got to understand what the Lord has not led me through, has drugged me through in my life to try to receive and understand His movement and His power. And so as, as that, just consider, that's all I'm asking you to do. If somebody irritates you in spiritual things, just consider it might be Jesus and you might miss your visitation. Just consider. That's what I'm saying here. I've come in my Father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his name, you shall receive him. And what's happening here is it's easier to receive a religious spirit than it is Christ himself. That's right. Because he looks more religious. Right? He came in carrying his Bible under his arm and he sat down and he's studious. Somebody else comes in with purple hair, slouches in the seat, and will say they can't have a word from God. But yet God goes to an extreme and has used a donkey to speak for him. Don't raise your hands if you feel a witness. <laughs> now, this is all about mistaken identity here. Total mistake. And so the big thing for a prophetic person today is to understand mistaken identity is, is the issue of this day in the beginning of the white horse, the spirit of the white horse. We're living in a day of mistaken identity. So therefore, it's important that as Christians, we know who we are in Christ. We must run into our identity. People say they're trying to find themselves. I tell them, well, find who you are in Christ first, and then you work on the other later. I ran into me and didn't like it. I backed up and ran towards Christ. I don't know about you, but that's kind of the way it works. My, my hope in raising children, maybe y'all can witness with this, my hope in raising children was that they would meet Jesus before they met their father. That, does anybody have a witness? That, that was my only hope. Now, as we look at it here, this writer is not Christ. This guy keeps bad company. He will resemble and imitate Christ. Why horses, you might say, they are often used to designate judgments. And that's what starts to happen when you see a horse in Scripture, the symbol, prophetic symbol, tends to be that judgments are closely associated. Now, we've got a bow here. I'm going to move a little quicker this morning. Hopefully, I'd like to cover some of this. A bow here. I'm going to introduce you to the hermeneutical idea of the law of first mention. Uh, the law of first mention is when you look at the Scriptures, you can look when it's first mentioned. A lot of words in, in the book of Genesis, let's say how a word was first used. So you've got a law of first mention, and then you tend 
to look at that law of first mention when you are using your hermeneutical glasses, if you will, to interpret Scripture. That's not saying that it can't come off of that because the Greek and the Hebrew words do. Uh, for the English words, it helps us to use this little exercise, if you will. Now, the law of first mention is a token of a covenant. A rainbow has been hijacked as a symbol of, immor of immorality. So I think we'd all, it says, that this, it says that this writer has a bow. It doesn't say a bow like a bow and arrow. This says a bow. Now, we know about the flood. We know about Nimrod, right, Babylon. Nimrod was kind of the first world leader. Well, this Antichrist is kind of going to be the second Nimrod, if you will. Kind of the second, he's going to be a world, the, the world leader just like Nimrod. Well, we know that the bow in the sky was, you know, a symbol that God wasn't going to... It, it's a token of a covenant. And so the bow here, it's like he's carrying the covenant. He's perverting the covenant. It's not happenstance that immorality today has a symbol of a rainbow. All right? In times past, and I'll not go into the symbols, immorality had other symbols. That's right. Uh, all, all immorality had other symbols. Usually body parts were the symbols of immorality until you get towards the end and then it takes on the symbol of a bow. Then you see it today even with flags draped across the doors of church houses who have the rainbow flag. So what... So what does that symbol tell a prophetic person? That means what's going on inside that house is something that has to do with the rider on the white horse, which is basically, number one, it's mistaken identity. And so is that what's going on with this flag? It, it's all about that. It's, it's, it's all about that. So we, and, and it's not like it's slight, <laughs> it's like it's just the Holy Ghost would have had to have put it on loudspeaker to be any plainer. But as a, as a prophetic people, let us look at the symbols. Genesis nine thirteen. I do not set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. We know that this white horse at the Antichrist would be a covenant breaker. They'll sign a um, this agreement with Israel of peace. And then he'll break it halfway through it and it destroys this. He will be known to break covenants. This is what he'll be known as this white horse rider. Jesus warns us of this horse in Matthew 24:3. Here it is. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he goes on and says... And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Well, now, what's the why does he say deceive you? Because the thing that's going to be going on is these false identities. So you can say, Well, Alan, I want to have a soft heart to people that want to change their identity. The enemy is going to parasite on the love of humanity that you have to get you to help you to carry out his bidding. 
I am the Christ and will deceive, uh, many will come my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, see ye that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, I said this last week. Last week it says, but when you see these things, it says the end's not yet. It doesn't say it's the end. It says when you see these things, it's not yet. So I can stand before you today and say the end's not yet. I can tell you that. But I also can tell you when you see these things, when you see these signs that Jesus was saying, this is what headed into the end it's going to look like. I know that the signs I'm seeing are not yet signs. Now Jesus goes on to warn us of the spirit of the Antichrist, Matthew 24 and 24, 5. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect, see, I have told you uh, beforehand. What keeps, uh, it says that many false Christs will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. What this tells us is there's going to be a time, which is even now, that what propels the believer today is not what you see, but the Word of God. I know we're all looking for signs and wonders. We like to see Jesus move and heal. The end's not yet, and we're going into a time and period that the Word of God's going to have to be more prominent than the signs and the wonders. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I just want to tell you the truth of the Word of God. That's where we're headed. Now, if God wants to show up and show out, I'm all for it. Amen. I'm all for it. Uh, does his word limit him from operating? No, of course not. But the way Jesus acts and my marching orders is not the same thing all the time. So Jesus, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, come in the room, do anything he wants to do. But he tells me, "Am I to? would I today want to go forth with the ministry of signs and wonders? The answer would be no. But I want to go forth with the ministry of teaching the word of God. The answer would be yes. That doesn't say you can't have a ministry of the Word of God and God not do signs and wonders. But if you're going to go out there and just do signs and wonders without the Word of God, I don't think I wouldn't advise it. That's all. That's I, I just wouldn't advise it. Now, and but it's based off of where I think we are in this book at the moment. Now, Matthew 24 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So, it says you'll see these things, the end's not yet, but he says, that, but the prerequisite is that the gospel's preached in, in the nations. Now you'll start seeing in the book of Revelation a lot of terminology says come and see, or you will see. And it'll be speaking about events there's no way you could see. So there's no way you could go see it, but it says you'll, you can see. So we know that it'll be some type of technology going on so the world can see. Just keep that in mind as, as we keep moving forward here. It says, uh, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy places, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now he, he's referring back to the book of Daniel. He's talking about the 69th and 70th week. I'll slightly hit it if you want a good study that it says right there, whoso readeth, let him understand. In other words, by me reading this to you, the Scriptures are telling everyone under the sound of my voice that you need to understand this book of Daniel. 
That's what he's saying. You need to understand this reference will be to those 70 weeks of Daniel. He says you, he says you need to understand it. I want you to understand it is, is what he's saying here. And now Matthew 24, 21 says, For then shall the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, uh, no, nor ever shall be. So you've got the 69 and 70th weeks of Daniel. The 70th week of Daniel is the seven-year tribulation period. It appears that we're in, a, in an interval, they say, call it, between the 69th and the 70th week. We're in an interim time. We know that some places you'll call it a parenthesis. We know that the book of Revelation is full of parentheses. I, 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 I want to show you this morning, the book of Revelation looks like it's just all thrown together. Looks like you go here and you go there and you and what I'm trying to do, if you'll stick with me, I'm not going to stay in Revelation. Believe me, this is a summary. Can anybody <laughs> to trust me, this is a summary. But I'm trying to give you a summary so you can see the architect, if you will, of the book of Revelation. It has a, a spiritual architect to it. And once you see it, you're like, oh my gosh, God did this. How could he have done this? So how could he go back to the book of Daniel? How could... Some scholars have wanted to discount the book of Daniel because it's so accurate. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Because it's so, so accurate and talking about, I mean, Alexander the Great, it even refers to that. Uh, Daniel didn't know it, but in the four generals. And it goes on. And it was a, there's huge arguments and, with all the smart people uh, that somebody put that in after the fact. But even after the fact, still couldn't got it after Alexander the Great. So it still won't work. You know, you got to do a lot of spiritual gymnastics to make that work. <laughs> this is the last uh, half of the seven-year tribulation. It's called the Great Tribulation. When you see the terminology Great Tribulation, you know it's actually the seven years is not tribulation. But it's called the tribulation. The last three and a half years is really, it's called the Great Tribulation. But we put the whole seven years, we tend to into that, but it don't. It doesn't hurt anything. For then shall be a great tribulation. Matthew twenty four twenty three says, "Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they uh, shall deceive even the very elect." Now, in this church, we like to carry the policy. There's no super Christians here. Has anybody noticed? There's no super Christians here. We don't set anybody upon a pedestal, not the pastor, not anybody that leads worship. We actually frown if you put somebody over another because that's not our goal here. We believe we're all the same in Christ. There's no super Christians here. There's, all, there's Christians here that have Jesus, and that makes us all the same because what makes us anything is Jesus is in us. Amen? But there's, no, there's not a hierarchical, spiritual hierarchy here. And that's the reason when I teach to you, I'm submitting to you to test it. Just so happens I maybe have spent more time on it because i got to stand up here. And I'm sure a lot of you could do just as good if you had to stand up here. But nonetheless, just test it as we're journeying through it together and understand that we don't go by a hierarchical, super spiritual structure here. 
So when I, and I'm in these groups all the time that it has this unspoken kind of hierarchical, this is a super spiritual person. This other person's not super spiritual. And, and in heaven, they laugh, trust me. They watch us to watch comedy, I'm sure, to lighten up heaven a little bit. Because when you're in heaven, you know it's all about him, right? It's, it's just all about him. So if, if you go to new life, it's just all about him. It's, it's just all about him. And we're all on this journey together trying to discover what he's saying to the church and what, what does he want us to do. And we understand that some of us have got certain jobs, but don't think that everyone here doesn't have a job. You don't have your place that you participate in what you do. So it says there'll be many false Christ, which points to the, the spirit of this white uh, horse rider. Now we see here in verse 6, it goes on, I mean, chapter 6 goes on to say, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. All right, there's a come and see. I'll just take note. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out to conquer, conquering and to conquer. A lot of people want to poo-poo that there's a movement, and has been movements for 2,000 years, of a one-world dominant government. And so people today say, you can say, well, you got this several organizations that are trying to have a one-world deal. Well, it's, been, it's not new. Number one, if it's new to you, it's just new to you. It's been going on for 2,000 years. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about. So to think it's not going on now would, would be, it'd be foolish. Okay, I didn't say that. She said it. It would be foolish. Now, but it says here also he had a bow, and we spoke about that. It says here that he had a crown. Now, I want us to look at this quickly. A crown is the victor's crown. That's what a crown, this word signifies Greek. It's uh, the, the well. It was actually supposed to be wreath or garland, which was given as a prize to victors in public games, not a diadem or a crown. It would signify kingly authority. So the crown here is not a diadem, but it was a, it's more of a, a victor's crown. Everything that the Antichrist is doing is actually trying to mimic, mimic uh, Christ, but he, he didn't have the crown. He has a what he, uh, kind of a... But it just so happens that this victor's crown is what was placed on the head of Christ at his crucifixion, crown of thorns. It was a mockery, of course. It was a mockery to the crown, but there was more like a... So, so the best the spirit of the Antichrist can do here is a victor's crown, which we know he loses. Daniel 8, 25, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. So what is that? That's, e that's the economics of countries. and of, he, he has this saving... I hate to get into this too much. I don't have enough time and I won't. But man creates problems. And the result, the answer to the problem, they come up with the answer, then they create a problem. So it looks like we got an answer to the problem. If you're with me, and I'll not mention vaccines or anything. But as, as, as we get on here, <laughs> we have to understand that, that man's, and just like the food situation, this planet, I'm a farmer, I keep up with this, this planet, this planet, up to five years ago, was the first time you didn't have too many hungry people on the planet. We just about, now I'm not saying you didn't have hungry individuals, but starvation, you didn't see starving kids on the TV all the time and all this. That's it. It's not that there wasn't some starving, 
But I'm saying as a planet, we were getting to where we were feeding everybody. And that's just the truth. Talk about farmers and global warming all you want to. It's a bunch of hogwash. Come see me and I'll use stronger verbiage. I didn't say I'd curse. I just said stronger verbiage. And, and, and it's, it's just ridiculous. We were so close. You can understand how that hurts my heart because I kept up with food and how much is on the planet. I just wanted my little deals. And we were just about there. And, and definitely countries were becoming more self, self-sufficient. Knocking it out of the park. Food was the cheapest thing on the planet. And, and so until mankind gets in there and they say, oh boy, we got to stop this. So they're stopping it everywhere now, doing ridiculous things. Then they're going to come up with the, you're trying to kill cattle and you can't raise beef anymore and you can't do it. But yet, I don't know if y'all know it or not, they're growing beef in labs now. Is, it, is everybody aware of that? A lot of the beef that you get in some of these stores is a lab-grown beef. They put it on a frame and they'll take the cells of a chicken breast and put it on there and they'll feed it this glossy and glushy stuff till it grows on a frame. They'll make a frame according to what the shape you want it to look like. Then they put it in your crispy chicken sandwich. That's right. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Right? They're building a whole plant on the other side of Charlotte right now. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Ridiculous. And the goulash that they put with it, it takes a lot more than it does to feed it to a cow. And can you believe it? How I'm like, this has got to be the spirit of the Antichrist. One thing about the spirit of the Antichrist is also it's dumb. It doesn't have common sense. I'm telling you the truth. Just one way you know the spirit of the Antichrist, it is void of common sense. Lord, forgive me if all, none of that was you. Uh, so, But it says, by peace... It'll magnify himself in his heart, it says, and by peace he shall actually destroy many. The spirit of that is what's happening today. We can see in, the, in children, and because they're saying they're kink, the sex misidentity and all that, and mutilations. And Listen, I'm just saying, I just knew I'd be gone before this happened. And I'll be son of a gun. Now, let's look at the New Testament here. This is... This gives us identity of this white horse rider. It's called the beast in Revelation 11, a false prophet, prophet, Revelation 13. The Antichrist, actually he's not even called the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, even though we all know that's what it's speaking about, but it's in 1 John. The lawless one, Thessalonians, man of sin, one come in his own name, John, son of perdition. All of these are terms that are, are relating uh, to this uh, now, we know also that he's going to be a, an intellectual genius. Praise God, that rules me out. He'd be a, a per, persuasive orator, it says this in Daniel and also in Revelation, a shrewd politician. This is the characteristics of this white horse rider. He's going to be a financial genius, a forceful military leader, powerful organizer, a unifying religious guru, it says in Thessalonians. He manages to get the world to see himself as above God. And that's uh, in Second Thessalonians. That gives you a little more of an idea of who this writer is. Now in 13.3 of Revelation, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed and all the world wandered after this beast. So we see here he's going to have a head, a head wound here. Um, there are two actually of these. There's one's a political leader. Antichrist, 
which is the first beast, and the false prophet who forces the worship of the first beast. You got a false prophet, and then you got the Antichrist, but the false prophet is shooting everything towards this Antichrist. Now, you got to understand, the spirit of the Antichrist has followers, and there's many today that are followers of the spirit of this Antichrist. And, and, and don't think it's the world, it's the church. Is, is, is the biggest persuader of such behavior. Now, Revelation 13, 14, And deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and yet did live. So this is what I'm wanting us to see as a church. It's going to be very important that all of us, if you just come in here on Sunday to get a feel of the presence of God, you can do that. But in this day and age that we're going into, you're going to also need to be able to learn the Word of God, have that in us to give us. You, you can say, God, give me discernment. Well, He'll give it to you. But you get what you do is you get His Word in, and that gives you a spirit of discernment. That's, that's, how, that's how you get it. Now, why is this mistaken identity so devastating, you might ask? Who is He, you might ask? Why is he so dangerous? Well, we might even ask, is he alive today? That's a good question. Now, I want us to see something quickly in my last few minutes here. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. You see that? You know the scripture. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right? Everybody with me on that scripture? Now, watch this good. It's very important. Don't let your brain go to sleep here. The seed of the woman of course, is the Messiah, which is, is spoken about in Revelation 12, 1, 2, and 4. The seed of the woman. You see, you see that up there. Now, the seed is Zerah, the Hebrew seed, sowing offspring, descendant. So it says her seed. So we know that that verse is speaking about the seed of the woman. We know that you have a bloodline all the way to Christ, right? Now, the seed of the serpent, Revelation 12, 3, and 4. Could there be an actual bloodline of Satan on the earth? Uh, most of us don't consider that. It says, thy seed and her seed. So we don't have any problem with her seed, but we don't ever consider thy seed. Spirit of the Antichrist. There has been a bloodline for the Antichrist ever since this verse just like there's a bloodline or a seed for Jesus. So I've said this before, and I'll say it again with a little more information. Down through the ages, especially 2,000 years, there has been an Antichrist ready to be plugged in. And that person, as an example, I'll say Hitler. He, could have been, he definitely carried those characteristics. I'll just tell you this. His genealogy, his lineage was from that seed of Satan. There are people on the planet Earth that are the genealogical line of that seed. Are there mean people here today? <laughs> the answer is yes. But the church tends to look at humanity not considering that Satan has a, a line. And we know that also we had a lot of lines where the Trevor Toll and the Nephilim, we had a mixture of genes and all this mess. Now look at this. Revelation 12, 1 through 4. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars, which we know that would be Israel. 
And she, uh, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, which we know this is speaking about Christ. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. We know this is nations. And his tail drew the third part of the stars, stars there being angels, of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now we know as soon as Jesus was born that this is true. King Herod, and you know the whole story. Satan and his angels, and Satan has a bloodline on the earth. And I know that's new to a lot of people. He has an organized bloodline on the earth to destroy anything that has the name of Jesus attached to it. So don't think this world is a friendly place. It is not user-friendly. There's two bloodlines running. It just so happens that if you've been born again, it just so happens that the enemy has a bloodline that's been on the planet, being birthed, being running, just like the line of Christ. As a church, we need to consider that. We need to understand it's okay to say, that person's not of God. That person might even be of the bloodline of the seed of Satan. Our opportunity is, and if you can hear me, all of us have a taint of that bloodline until we get a spiritual transfusion of the blood of Christ. Has your blood been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Are you now the bloodline of Christ? Or are you straddling the fence? Are you running a little mixed blood? I'll leave you with that inviting question. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. I ask and pray, O oh God, that if there's anything that I've said that it's not of you, it'd fall to the ground. But Lord Jesus, I lay this, the, your word out to your people, trusting that your Holy Spirit would lead us in all truth. I don't claim to have the truth, but I claim that your word does. Now, Lord Jesus, let us be about your grace and mercy, but let us not squander it that others might be so destroyed in this time of your grace and mercy. Let us take the gospel to the world that this mercy might be applied in redemption and repentance. Redeem us once again, O oh God. Give us a blood transfusion of the seed of the woman, Christ himself. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.